0: morning guys how are you all i am good man isn't it it's amazing how god just kind of always meets you where you are isn't it i mean isn't it? maybe this is just me but there's just a sweet presence here today right just a just that feeling of peace and and i don't know about y'all but i've been grinding this week right so usually i come up here i'm about to explode you know But sometimes it's just a grind, isn't it? But man, God just always comes with what we need, right? Just that rest, that peace, that gentle spirit. Sometimes we need, like I always just want to, you know, bust right through the walls, you know, but sometimes we just need that peace, right? Let's just rest in that today together as we dig into God's Word. So I am excited about it. I, I can't promise that I'll stay calm the entire time, okay? But we're continuing on in Romans 8 which is just an amazing chapter. Um, So as we start, I just want to start with, everybody take a deep breath as I get my clock going here. What I want us to think about as we start, and if you want to close your eyes, close your eyes, but think about your best Christmas memory. Probably when you were a kid. You probably asked for something or were promised some kind of special gift that you were really looking forward to. And then, as Christmas is getting closer, you start to see these wrapped gifts under the tree, right? But you don't know exactly what they are, right? But you know they're there. The promise is there. You know that when that day comes, you're going to get to unwrap that gift, right? And that feeling of anticipation and hope and excitement is there. And then finally, the day comes, and it's just better than you even expected. right? Isn't that a great feeling? Isn't that a great thing to think about? Well, that's what we're talking about today in Romans 8 on a much bigger scale. What we're talking about is a day that's coming where that gift that we've been promised is going to be unwrapped and revealed completely. And we're going to be made complete We're going to be made complete as the adopted sons and daughters of God. (laughs) Now, if that doesn't get you excited, I don't know what can, okay? But I just want you to think about that. The closest thing I could think of is that image of when you're a kid and you don't know exactly what's there, but you know it's there and you know it's coming and you get to open it, right? It's coming. So what we're going to talk about today, we're looking at Romans 8, 18 through 25, The scriptures we talk about are going to be up here. You can look in the, I don't know if you can look in the app. I'm not the app guy, but, or you can look it up in your own Bible, obviously. But what we're going to talk about today, last week, Blake talked about no action, being able to stop God's plan. Let the spirit kill what's killing you. Well, what we're going to talk about today, we're continuing on. The spirit is obviously a central figure in Romans eight. We're led by him. We're changed by him as he indwells us. But today we're going to talk about some promises of God that nothing can stop. There are promises in Romans 8, 18-25 that no enemy can stop. And when I say enemy, I mean no suffering, no trial that we're going through, no curse, death, nothing can stop these promises. And I think there are three of them. The promise of future glory, which is what I was just referring to. It's coming for those of us who are redeemed by Christ. The promise of our adoption and redemption as sons and daughters of God. That is coming, and nothing can stop it. And the promise of our patience rewarded. Sometimes we just have to grind and be patient, don't we? So we're going to talk about that, and I'm excited to talk about it. The Spirit is the key to all of it. This Spirit that frees us, the Holy Spirit, that gives us peace of mind, that gives us life, that joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children like we see in verse 16 of this chapter. The spirit's the key. So let's pray and get into this. God, thank you so much for your sweet presence of peace. We just invite you in, Jesus. We are here for you to worship you and to be challenged and changed by you. We just invite you into this place in every way, God. If you're not here, then this is all for nothing. So we thank you that you're here among us. As we dig into Romans 8, God, we just thank you for your promises and that you are a faithful God who keeps his promises. Just reveal your truth to us today, not my words, but yours. Help us to hear and receive what you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's put the scripture up. Romans 8, 18 through 25. Like I said, Romans 8 is an amazing chapter There are more commentaries on it that you can count than you can count. I've used a couple of them a lot this week, but the the language of it is so beautiful. And for those of you who've heard me speak before, you know I'm a language guy. I love to dig into the words of Scripture. But the language of it is so beautiful that it can almost preach itself. It just stretches your faith. And we're going to talk about, well, how do we believe this beautiful picture that Paul's trying to paint? Verse 18, Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory He will reveal to us later. You could preach a whole sermon on that verse. Right? And i got to do six more verses. That verse is loaded. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who His children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse, but with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope For the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. Like Christmas. We're looking forward to it. We know it's there. It's coming. We can wait patiently and confidently. What a passage. What a passage. Let's dig into this together. Big promise number one. The promises that nothing can stop. No enemy can stop these. Number one, the promise of future glory. That very first verse. Verse 18, yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory He will reveal to us later. Now before we dig into that, I want to start with this premise. It's a premise that a lot of us, I think one of these commentaries I looked at by Kenneth Boa and William Credeneyer on Romans described it this way. Before we get into this verse, we have to talk about one of the premises that needs to come before it. That commentary says, perhaps no truth is so glaringly absent from the understanding of most Christians than the truth and the implications of the fact that this world is not our home. I'm going to say that again. This world is not our ultimate home. We are aliens in this world. couple of scriptures. 1 Peter 2.11. Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. How many of us have battled worldly desires that wage war against our very souls? Our souls are in the balance here. The world is attacking and waging war against them to pull us away from our ultimate home. Philippians 3.20. But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we are eagerly waiting for Him to return as our Savior. So guess what? If we don't believe that this is not our home, we're not going to be eagerly waiting to get somewhere, right? So I think there's an implied premise to verse 18. If we want to eagerly wait and groan for where God is calling us, we have to believe that. We have to believe that that this is not our home. We don't like that, do we? It's not a comfortable thing to believe or think about, you know, because we get so wrapped up in just what's right in front of us, right? But when that truth settles in, it changes everything. It changes our perspective. It changes what we value. It makes Romans 8, 18 through 25 make sense. Because if we think this is our home, then 18 through 25 doesn't make sense why would I long to go there if this is my home, if this is all that matters, right? Another commentary I looked at by John Whitmer on Romans. He talks about verse 18 being the conclusion of the preceding paragraph. At the end, or at the verse preceding 18, Paul's talking about believers being assured of, assured of their status as heirs in Christ's glory. Now that's an awesome concept to be equal heirs with Christ is very exciting, right? But he also reminds us that in sharing in Jesus' glory, that requires that we also share in his what? His suffering. Now that's not as exciting. (laughs) Sharing in suffering. Not a concept that we run to embrace, right? We want the glory. That sounds great. Do we embrace the suffering that comes with it? One of my pastor buddies, Steve Rose, and I were talking this week and he put it this way, one of the greatest impediments to modern Christians dealing with suffering is that we buy into, often without realizing it, that false gospel of never hurting, never being stretched or challenged, always having everything we want. The way we react to suffering often tells us what our theology and relationship with Jesus is. That's a tough pill to swallow, right? Right? but i think there's some truth in it the way we we all want the we all want the eternal glory but if we go back to verse 17 right before he talks about the eternal glory he talks about sharing in the suffering so if we're living this life if we're walking with him expecting never to hurt never to be stretched never to be challenged never have to lay anything down then it tell, it'll say a lot about us when suffering comes Where's our relationship with Jesus? Do we accept this entire Scripture for the truth that's in it, or do we just want the good parts? Right? Everybody with me? Okay. I know it's peaceful in here, but you can't fall asleep. Okay? Come on. All right, so continuing on with verse 18, and this might spill into 19. So Paul uses the Greek word, I'll probably butcher this, logizomai. Which means I consider. Paul says in verse 18 that he considers and concludes that our present sufferings are far outweighed by the glory that will be revealed in us and through us. When I thought about this concept of being far outweighed, I couldn't find the picture, but I took Eli to a UK day basketball camp a few years ago. Eli's my little fellow, okay? And he met a couple of UK's players, Bam Adebayo and Isaac Humphries. They're both about seven feet tall. Okay? So Eli gets in a picture with these two and he's in between them. And he's literally up to their kneecaps. These are giant human beings. Okay? So it's literally the two of them, and Eli's in the middle, and he's about this tall. And my brain's a little bit messed up, but when I saw this phrase far outweighed, that's the first thing I thought of was that picture. Eli is far outweighed by these two giants. Okay, but I think it's a it's a good Whatever drives this picture home for you, okay? Whatever the suffering is, just understand, it is far outweighed by the glory. So when I say far outweighed, just picture whatever comes into your mind. That's the comparison here. For me, it was Eli and these two giants. For you, it can be whatever. But the suffering, it feels real. It feels so weighty right now for those of you who are in it, right? If you're grinding, if you're suffering, it feels like there's nothing else, right? When you're in the middle of it. But number one, it shows where we are with Jesus. And number two, it's far outweighed by what's to come. So we can take some comfort and some hope in that, right? Let's keep going. Also, the glory is forever. Can't gloss over that. The suffering is temporary. The glory is forever. 2 Corinthians 4.17. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. Pretty clear. The words are unambiguous, right? Whatever we're suffering, the glory's better. So just grind through. If we let this truth sink in, it can and should help us in a couple ways. Focus on eternity, number one. Almost every time I get up here, I end up talking about that. I realize that. But I believe there's no concept that's more critical to walking with Jesus on this earth than staying focused on eternity. If we don't, then everything gets off track. So if we accept and process this truth that the suffering's temporary, but when we have the Spirit indwelling us, the glory is forever, it can help us keep our eyes up here instead of down here, right? Or it helps me anyway. And then the second thing that can help us is it can help us endure the suffering, right? If you know there's a light at the end of the tunnel, it's a little bit easier to grind through, right? But it's still not easy, is it? But do we believe this? The suffering puts to the test our belief of this, right? The suffering's coming. I mean, raise your hand if you've never suffered in here, and I want to talk to you. It's coming, okay? It's going to put your faith, your trust in these principles to the test. It is. But we know with the Spirit indwelling us that the glory is coming too. Everybody with me? Good. All right. So back to the commentaries and what I gleaned from them. Romans 8.18 is kind of a topic sentence for the discussion that follows. So let's start talking about the relationship between us as the sons and daughters of God and the creation. Okay, Obviously, they're intertwined. In this passage, let's go to verse 19. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. This relationship between us and the creation was firmly established by the fall, by Adam's sin. At that moment, we were all creation and all of us were put under the curse, right? It wasn't by our choice, as we'll see in the verse to come. Genesis 3:17 and 19 says this. to the man he said, since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree, whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed. Because of you, all your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. Some of us more than others. Okay, but it's all a struggle, right? It'll grow thorns and thistles for you, though you'll eat of its grains. By the sweat of your brow, you'll have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you're made. For you were made from dust, and to dust you shall return. That was a bad day for all of us. I think it's safe to say that's not a speech you want to hear okay so hey guess what i didn't intend this but guess what now the curse isn't up to you adam everything's cursed until my son comes to redeem it and only i know that at this point that's not a good day this relationship between man and creation it also has a future aspect. God has a plan of salvation. So even in this moment, God already knew his ultimate plan, right? His ultimate plan being to redeem creation and us forever through Jesus, which is why there's that eager expectation just comes with the curse. Immediately once we're under the curse, the groaning, the expectation of being redeemed began. The Greek word for that, again, I'll probably butcher it. Apokeradochia is the Greek word for that. That can't be how it is, Blake. I don't know. It literally means for the strained expectation of the creation keeps on eagerly waiting. Ruby would know this better than I, but I believe that's a present, a future perfect tense verb. We were working on that this week. So the creation is in a perpetual state of waiting to be redeemed from the curse. You guys ever feel like that? Man, when you're grinding, when you're in the middle of the suffering, aren't you just waiting? Like, oh, man, one day, one day. J.B. Phillips put it like this in his book, Mounts. The whole creation, I love this image, the whole creation is on tiptoe to see the wonderful sight of the sons of God coming into their own. Don't you love that image? I just imagine like a kid at the zoo, like just trying to get a glimpse just trying to get a glimpse of that redemption. All of creation is waiting for it, yearning for it, to be redeemed from the curse. That is the promise of future glory that no enemy can stop. We're going to be transformed. All of nature is going to be redeemed. All of nature is in a perpetual state of frustration. Not by choice, but because of the act of Adam. We're under this curse until... We're redeemed, but the promise of future glory is there. And God's going to make everything new. Let's look at a couple of scriptures on that. Second Corinthians 5.17. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. So the process has already begun, but the adoption, the completion of that redemption is when he comes back and the future glory gets established. Revelation five says, And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I'm making everything new. And then he said to me, John being the writer of Revelation, Write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. I'm glad he wrote that down. Aren't you? Because we're in the middle of the suffering. Because John wrote that down, we know something's coming. So I'm glad he listened to that and wrote that down for us. This is going to be the new heavens and the new earth. And that's a whole another theological sermon. But the new heavens and the new earth that the prophets and the apostles wrote about in Isaiah, in Second Peter, in Revelation. If you want to learn more about that, then there's plenty out there on it. But God is going to make everything new. So the question becomes for us, if we, if we're trying to make it practical, well, how do we get there? How do we get through the groaning to the future glory? What do we do until then? Well, here's what we do. Big promise number two, our adoption and redemption. It's promised no enemy can stop it. It's coming. Verse 22, for we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. Now, look around and look back there. If there's one thing Christ Community Church knows a little something about, it's giving birth and adopting. So if you can't preach this analogy in here, you can't preach it anywhere. Okay, Everybody in here has been touched by one or both of those things, Right? So these are analogies that Paul's using that hit home. The groaning is real, people. And so the way I framed it is this. This is how we get there. This is how we get to the future glory. We groan till we're home. We groan till we're home. It's coming. We groan till we're home. And we can groan because the Spirit is in us as we're going to get to. We have that future glory coming because God is going to redeem us as sons and daughters. Let's talk about this first fruits of the spirit concept. The foretaste, I think, is the language up there. So the spirit in us is essentially giving us a preview of what's to come in terms of future glory. God has given us the spirit as the down payment, the certainty, the foretaste that one day we will enter into this full inheritance. This is how we believe. This is how we know and believe this is true we have a foretaste again back to that christmas analogy we know it's coming because we see the gifts wrapped under the tree we just don't know what's in there okay when we've got the spirit indwelling us he is giving us that certainty that guarantee that the full future glory being in his presence forever is coming 2nd corinthians 122 says this he has identified us as his own by placing the Holy Spirit in our hearts as the first installment that guarantees everything He has promised us. So the Holy Spirit being in here, being real in us, is our guarantee of everything that He's promised us. Ephesians 1.14, the Spirit is God's guarantee that He will give us the inheritance He promised and that He has purchased us to be His own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify Him. But for now, we groan. We know it's coming. We have the assurance, the certainty of the Spirit in us. But we got to groan till we're home. But do we actually groan? Are we waiting eagerly for this? I think we have to ask this question. Right? Are we living lives? Are we waiting eagerly for this redemption by Jesus when He returns? Or... Have we gotten so used to this harsh, chaotic life that we live on earth that that's all we see? Do we just live in that bubble? Or are we groaning? Are we yearning, longing, whatever verb you want to use, for that glory that's to come? How many of our hearts break over the tragedy and the despair that we see around us? Are we groaning for that? We have so effectively distanced ourselves from the groaning sometimes that we forget that we live under the curse. We're just living with what's right in front of us, right? The curse is in our very presence all the time, but sometimes we get so caught up in our own stuff and what's right in front of us that we fail to hear it. We fail to appreciate it. We fail to say, God, we long for that day when You deliver us completely, when You redeem us. Any believer, any of us who aren't groaning inwardly and waiting eagerly for the return of Christ... It means we have a shallow understanding of things. We're not seeing things with eternal perspective. If we're not on some level yearning, longing for that redemption, then I think we need to check where we are with the Spirit because He's giving us that pull, that guarantee, that certainty that it's to come. So if we don't want that, if we're so caught up with what's in front of us that we don't want or aren't conscious of that, then I think we need to take that to Him and ask Him to give us, to renew us, to give us that tangible presence of the Spirit in our lives to where we're just longing for what's to come. 2 Corinthians 4.16 says, This is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. And again, the Holy Spirit in us is guaranteeing what's to come. I think one day a lot of us or I like to imagine a lot of us are going to look back after all this when we've achieved the glory and think, why did I get so caught up in everything? You know, don't, don't we like it? you guys ever do this? You ever compare or think, I used to do this when I was a kid. I grew up in the church. And I used to think, well, I don't want to be in heaven all the time just worshiping God. That sounds boring. You ever think that? Like you think you have some kind of concept of what the glory is. And like, well, I mean, I got it pretty good here. Like it's probably about... You know, it's probably not that much better. I mean, come on. But we do that, don't we? Like, we get so wrapped up in our stuff, we think we got it so good here. We have no concept of what's to come. Do we trust him with that? Do we trust him that much that whatever it is down here doesn't even compare? And I think we're going to look back on it and say, well, how could I have felt so at home in that messed up world? And how could I even have compared this cursed world to what is to come? I just wonder if we're going to have that rational ability to look back and say, how could, I, how, could I thought I was, how could I have thought I was home there? It's crazy. Big promise number three, patience rewarded. Verse 24, we were given this hope and we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. Again, that Christmas analogy. I think that, you know, obviously Paul refers to it, the the birth process. I mean, it's very similar, right? You, you You know what you have there, right? But it's like an unwrapped gift. And when the baby comes, it's better than you could have imagined, right? So that's why he uses this analogy. So many can identify with that. You don't know exactly what you've got. There's the promise there that it's coming, right? And then when it comes, it's better than you could have ever thought. That's why he uses this analogy, I think, both for the groaning, which everybody can identify with, but with the promise of what's to come. Now, Paul never intended to tell us that it was going to be easy, did he? He talks about the suffering. He talks about living in a cursed world. The one thing that living in this world requires is patient hope patient hope from the moment we're saved hope becomes our guidepost because it requires faith right it's required it's something we can't see what we have to latch on to sometimes is hope when we're in the middle of the suffering in the middle of the struggle we have to latch on to hope hebrews 11 1 says faith shows the reality of what we hope for it's the evidence of things we can't see Hebrews 11 and 12, which are widely known as significant faith chapters, they tell the story of the heroes of the faith and how their earthly expectations were literally completely turned on their head. But what was to come was far beyond what they ever expected. So I encourage you to go read those as you're processing this, as you're processing this concept of, well, whatever we have here is nothing by comparison. So no enemy can stop this reward for our patience, for our patient hope. And what's coming at the end? The full measure of adoption. Like I said, we've got a bunch of people in here that know a lot about adoption. Many of you know I'm an attorney. I do a ton of adoptions. The mid right now, that child, when he comes, is about to receive the full benefits of that adoption. You guys know what that means to a child? The Montgomery's, the Montgomery's gotcha day was, like, was yesterday. I handled their adoption. When those children are rescued, they go from they go from having nothing or to being rejected to having the full measure in a legal sense as if a child of birth and blood. So to try to wrap your mind around that concept spiritually, it's almost too much to handle, isn't it? When we're fully adopted and redeemed as sons and daughters of God, we stand in the same shoes. We stand shoulder to shoulder with Jesus in terms of status. That is crazy that he's gifting us that. But that's what the midkiffs are doing. They're doing it right now. They're going to bring that child back and he is going to be granted the full status of a son and daughter. That is exciting. All right, let's keep drilling down. Time to get practical. This is a lot of, you know, this is, there's a lot of conceptual stuff here that we've really got to make Real. In our everyday lives, right? So, what does it look like to groan till we're home? And I'm serious I was just going through my notes last night. My notes are a complete mess. I've chicken scratched everything. But this groan to your like I can literally see myself driving in the car after just suffering, grinding, having a terrible day, just taking a deep breath and going, oh, just grown to your home. I mean, really, it's real I'm trying to make this real for myself, too. Right? Sometimes it's just hard but I know I've got that spirit in here and I know something better's coming, right? So sometimes I just got to take a deep breath and close my eyes and say, maybe, maybe somebody in here needs to do it. Maybe you're in the middle of something right now. You just don't see a way out. Just take a deep breath. Ask for a a, a, re, a regeneration, a new awareness of that spirit that's in you because you've accepted pri- Christ and just say, just come to your home. I think there's freedom and peace in that, right? The best is yet to come. So again, the Spirit is the key. So we have to ask ourselves some questions, looking at Romans 8 and looking at this specific passage. He is the key to all of it. So the first question, is the Spirit indwelling us? Is the Spirit in us? Freeing us? Joining with our spirit to identify Us as God's children. That's one of my favorite verses. Verse 16. Blake stole it last week, so I don't get to preach about it this week. But verse 16. The Spirit communicates with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. Is the Spirit in you doing that? Giving us life and peace. Giving us a foretaste of this future glory. The first fruits. Essentially a teaser of what's to come. When we're walking in that fruit of the Spirit, it's just a glimpse. Just, a gl- just remember that image. It's just a glimpse of what's to come. But it gives us that certainty, that guarantee that it's coming. So if you don't have the Spirit indwelling you, if you're here today and you do not have that Spirit indwelling you, don't leave here today without talking and praying with someone. Any one of us here who have that Spirit in us, who know what that foretaste is like, would love to talk or pray with you. Don't leave here today without that. If yes, which I think is most of us, if the Spirit is indwelling us, then the question becomes more challenging. Then it becomes, where do we fall? I like to think of this as a continuum. Okay? So on one end, so this is assuming again that we've accepted Christ, He's accepted us, the Spirit is in us, but some of us still choose, like Paul talked about earlier in Romans 8, to live in bondage to sin. That's verse 5 of Romans 8. So some of us have the Spirit indwelling us and we're still choosing to live in the bondage of sin which leads to death. So that's on this end of the spectrum. And some of us are here. Let's just be honest. Some of us are here. We've accepted Christ, the Spirit's in us, but we're choosing sin and death still. Now if you follow the continuum to the other end of the spectrum, some of us are living in this place that we're talking about. We are walking with the Spirit. We're experiencing sin the foretaste, the foreshadowing of that fruit of the Spirit in our lives, and we are waiting with confident, expectant hope of Christ's return to redeem us as His son and daughters, and we want to bring as many people with us as possible and get them on board with that. So that's the other end of the spectrum. That's the healthy side, right? So down here, you've got choosing sin and death. On this healthy end, you've got I am all in. The Spirit's with me. I can taste and sense his fruit in my life. I'm walking in it, and I am just groaning till I'm home. I'm groaning, I'm longing for that return. Come get me. Anybody ever just get in their car and be like, come get me, Jesus? This was a a bad one. Come get me. Anybody ever done that? Woo! Well, maybe I'm the only one. I do it all the time. Come get me. I've had enough. But I think most of us are in the middle of this line. Right, most of us in the middle of the slime, and we are living like this is our home. So we're not down here. We're not slay, we're not actively choosing sin, but we're not down here either. We're not longing for our eternal home. We're in the middle, living like this is our home. And back to that First Peter two eleven verse, warring with worldly desires. That's where most of us stay. We're in here. Because it's a constant battle, isn't it? Warring with earthly desires. So, I think as we wrap this up, as we process Romans 8, 18-25, through 25, and all of Romans 8, I think that is what co- God is calling us believers to. Number one, everybody should walk out of here feeling encouraged. These are promises that are coming and that no enemy can stop. The promise of future glory, the promise of being redeemed and adopted as sons and daughters, and the promise... Of your patience rewarded. Everybody, whether you're in the middle of the grind right now and suffering, or whether you're supercharged right now and rolling, everybody should get joy and encouragement from that. Those promises are coming, and no enemy can stop it. Amen? But I think we have to think about where we are on this continuum. If you're choosing sin, stop it. Stop it. You're choosing death. Ask the spirit to renew himself in you and change you. Don't choose death when you know the truth. If you're down here and you're just right in the middle of that patient, that eager longing, that groaning for your forever home, then get out there and bring people in. Get people on board. Take that passion, that knowledge, that truth to others and get people in. Let's get down here together. Let's all get down on this end of the perspective. continuum together does that sound good wouldn't it be great if we were all down here can you imagine what we could do in this community in this state in this world if we were all down here we're like you know what i recognize that this world has nothing for me in terms of eternity and i'm down here i am eagerly waiting to be redeemed and i want you to be down here with me doesn't that sound good but if we're here if we're in the middle if we're still be at war with those worldly desires just take that to him Ask for that eternal perspective. Ask for the Holy Spirit to give you that foretaste of the glory that's to come and to change what you desire. To give you that perspective so you're not at war in your soul with worldly desires, but you're all in down here on this end of the continuum. Does that make sense? It made a lot of sense to me this week. So, take this with you. If you don't take anything else with you, just go to your home. The Spirit's in you. He's groaning with you. The future glory is to come. Let's get through it together. Amen? All right. Worship band, you can come up. Let's pray. God, thank you so much. Oh, Lord, that you love us so much that you would make us adopted sons and daughters. What an unbelievable concept that is. Thank you for that. Thank you for sending Jesus to make that possible. God, thank you for your truth. Thank you for giving us the spirit just to give us a taste of the glory that's to come. Make that real to us in our lives and hearts, God. Lord, if there's anyone here that does not know your spirit, that has not accepted and surrendered to you, I pray that you would convict them and that they would not leave this place without learning more and surrendering to you. God, for those of us who who are here who have surrendered to you, I pray that you would help us to honestly assess where we are with you and your spirit. Are we choosing sin and death still? Are we warring with worldly desires and just looking at what's right in front of us? Or are we down here longing, eagerly groaning until you come get us and bring us home? May we all be in that place and walk to that place together with you by your spirit, God. So just challenge and change us today. Continue to reveal this truth and have it settle in in a way that makes a practical difference in all of our lives. It's in Jesus' name we ask, amen.